This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joining me as always is Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, last night on the Lakers Exceptionalism stream, we watched the Lakers take it to the Bucks, a very good team in the East, title contenders for sure. And uh, it was a little bit sloppy, but on the backs of a MVP caliber performance from LeBron and just absolutely insane shot making from three from the team. The Lakers were able to uh, put it away. And so today we wanted to just spend the whole pod. You know, I feel like, you know, I mentioned a couple pods back. We haven't learned too much about the season. And this is one of those moments where you try to unpack the little 48 minute sample you have against a great team as best you can. So that's what we're going to try and do today, Tim. So just throwing it to you. How, what was your, your first reaction, your, your takeaways from, from that win last night against the Bucks? It took a little bit for everything to sink in since we were talking throughout the whole game. But after right. we stopped and I paused, I reflected, and I was like, damn, like we just beat one of the two or three best teams out there other than us. And, and it was a meaningful win. It wasn't, I don't know if we quite took it to them, but we saw the Lakers play well enough to win and I still think that there were a couple of things that we could do a little bit better to be even better in the future so you know a win is a win is a win you take it uh and I, I think one of my closing thoughts on the stream was that I never really felt like Milwaukee was about to go on a run and just the Lakers offense you know every every game or two you'll have a guy that's shooting cold but we always have enough shooters that somebody can shoot hot and this team is shooting 40% from 3 on the season and you've got lebron you've got ad that is a recipe to win there are little things here and there you can fix but defensively the team has just been so strong and up against a really good offensive team up against the reigning mvp la really shut him down and milwaukee put up quarter after quarter after quarter uh from q two through four of 25 points or less. So I, wow. I was really impressed with that. And you you never felt, I, I didn't quite feel like the Lakers, you know, we weren't blowing them out, but I was never really worried because we never really saw any sort of run from Milwaukee, it seemed like. We always kind of had them in check and it was just, you know, tweak a thing here or there and LA can go on a big run. And we saw that at times. For sure. Um, 
let's let's dig in right away then. So we're going to start with let's start with the Lakers offense, what we saw, what we they can improve on um, things that I, you know, LeBron really was the catalyst for them on offense for most of the game, you know, finding guys for those threes, obviously KCP hitting big, big shots. You know, he went way over norm with seven out of his 10 threes. So that's a giant plus, but LeBron really was the engine of the offense and Tim, the lineup of meh as we've called it was not awful on offense because LeBron was brilliant and they actually went plus one in their five and a half or so minutes. So LeBron, uh, as the offense, he is, Tim, punishing unders on the pick and roll. Absolutely taking advantage. I think he learned, you know, we talked about it in the playoffs. Teams are going under on him with a a pick and roll partner like Trez. They're going to continue to go under, and he's really making them pay. Not just shooting a great percentage, but taking a lot of them. And Drew Holiday on multiple times went deep under screens, and LeBron didn't hesitate and was just feeling it. Plus, he had that dagger three at the end. But that that's my big takeaways from the offense. We did see AD try and kind of assert himself in moments, but he seemed relatively quiet throughout the game. Any big takeaways about how the Lakers approach this on offense for you? Yeah, we, it was a weird game because we saw Milwaukee run more ball screens than we did with the Lakers, which is strange given how little Milwaukee usually runs ball screens. The Laker offense, I thought it was very purposeful at times. We saw, we, we were talking before we started recording, at one point Milwaukee went with a really strange lineup that was extra small that like Connaughton was playing power forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, he was on Trez. Uh, and the Lakers just went at that matchup time after time. We saw Drew Holiday guarding LeBron. And if you look through the matchup data, on the NBA's website, you can see not just like the shooting percentage of a guy against another guy, because that can be super fluky, but how often LeBron was shooting when Drew was guarding him really spoke to the fact that they were purposefully going after that. And like you said in the pregame pod, it's going to be LeBron going out of in the post. He's had success with that in the past. And we saw that last night. LeBron shot seven for 14 when Drew was guarding him. And it was just really high volume. If he's on you, go right at him in the post. Uh, so it, it, that was just really purposeful basketball in that respect. Speaking of the post, something that we were talking about last night that was getting a little bit on my nerves was L.A. didn't do a great job countering the extra help that Milwaukee was sending against Trez, against AD, and against LeBron in the post. They were doing some of the right things, but just not consistently. So here's mo- what Milwaukee was doing. And they had a different strategy first half and second half because the Lakers eventually caught on, adjusted, and punished them from it. In the first half, the extra help on uh, post-ups was coming from the high side, meaning that like if I'm at the wing, I'm giving Tom a post entry, my and I just stand there at the wing, my man is the man that's going to go help. It's not somebody coming from the baseline. It's not weak side stuff. It's on the weak side, you have your 3v3 or 2v2 or whatever it happens to be. But on the strong side, that guy's digging down and he's making you uncomfortable. And when the Lakers didn't do anything about that, there were seven possessions. They scored two points where they were just kind of forcing up bad shots or they were getting stripped. We saw a couple runouts for Milwaukee. Even Chenzo had, I think, two steals. Uh, it was causing a lot of issues. The Lakers adjusted. They started cutting that player either, either around the post player baseline to the other side or towards the top of the key and then straight down the middle. And we saw seven possessions of that. So seven possessions of nothing scored two points. Seven possessions of the Lakers cutting 
resulted in 13 points because then that extra help wasn't there. And AD and LeBron are elite post-scoring options. Same with Harrell. They're able to take advantage of that. When you truly give them a 1v1, same thing as in the playoffs last year. When you get a real 1v1, they're going to kick butt. So that was the one little tweak the Lakers made. We saw in the one play that extra help tried to come, even though the player was cutting through and AD dumped off that beautiful pass to LeBron who flushed it, uh, cutting through the middle. Um, a couple of times we had to cut several players through because what Milwaukee did was if the first player cuts through, then somebody from the weak side would just bump over and then be in that same help position and try to dig down. So you had to attack quickly. There were a couple of times the Lakers cut the player through, but then took their time and then extra help came again. So they had to cut another guy through. So it was a little bit of a back and forth tit for tat tactical game in that respect that I didn't notice as much watching live, but on film was really obvious. Uh, and the Lakers figured it out, kicked butt. And then in the second half, instead of the help coming from the high side, it was coming from the low side. And what this resulted in were a lot of jump shots. The Lakers didn't really do anything at all to counter this. There were 10 possessions the Lakers posted up in the second half against help from the weak side uh, baseline. They only scored eight points, and it was just fadeaway jump shot after fadeaway jump shot. It just wasn't efficient. It wasn't good. It wasn't working. Even the ones that were going in were like, damn, that are, those are tough shots. And we were saying that while watching the game yeah. live. There was only one time L.A. recognized it, and LeBron made a beautiful skip pass to Alex Caruso, who was wide open on the weak side, and I believe we had a, a pin-in flare screen against that. So when they're coming from the high side, strong side, cut that player through or set a flare screen between some of the perimeter players on the top. When it's coming from the weak side and you have like a 3v2 on the weak side, you have to do something to take advantage of that. Either cut that player baseline or set screens for each other um, or set like a staggered screen weak side. But the Lakers, they, they were doing the right things, just not consistently. But when they did do the right things, we saw how unstoppable we were against their post defense. And that, to me, is super encouraging. We're going to go to the film room. They're going to see, here's what worked, here's what didn't work. When we played our game, when we did the right thing, they could not stop us. And hopefully the team learns that lesson and moves forward. And next time we play a team that's playing us like this, LA is able to instead of it being seven possessions of doing something and seven of not doing something, it's going to be like 14 of doing the right thing and, and not, none where we're just clueless. So that was a big takeaway of mine uh, on the offensive side that LA did well, not perfect, but there's a path forward to being even better in the future. 40% of their shots of per cleaning the glass were from the mid range, the short mid or the long mid. And only 21% of the Lakers shots were at the rim. So that does kind of worry me a bit. Their success from shooting last night, while they've been good all season, it's not something that you look at against a good team like Milwaukee and think, okay, that's how we're going to win every time shooting 50% threes. You know, this helped them win this game for sure. And on top of their defense too, I thought, and we'll get to that later. Their defense was fantastic, but in contrast, Milwaukee took 38% of their shots at the rim last night. So, you know, they got to the rim. They maybe missed some more looks than they wanted with Giannis, who didn't have a particularly efficient night um, in turning the ball over as well, getting offensive fouls. But as far as the Lakers on offense, this was, uh, you know, a lot of LeBron. And I thought Trez had some really big moments. He ended with 12 points, four of seven, uh, but he got to the foul line. He punished that Connaughton matchup, like he mentioned. In, and that was in crunch time. You know, that was a close game. And, you know, they were trying to get a couple extra minutes of Giannis rest in the fourth. And Trez was crucial in, in punishing that. So, you know, 
That on top of KCP shooting the ball so well really helped buoy this Lakers offense. And and I don't know if you can rely on that again because, you know, like Holiday had a good night scoring. Giannis had a good night scoring. Middleton struggled. You know, like I should say Giannis, considering his lack of assists, his turnovers, he wasn't efficient, right? But still 11 of 17, if you can cut those down easily, there is an easy way for the Bucks to make up the eight point deficit, you know, and, and win this game by one instead. You can see a lot of pathways for that. Yeah, and I would say that what the Lakers did against Giannis, it was it was real. It was more sustainable to me because the the way Giannis shoots such a high percentage is a lot of it was at the rim. He's not in a great outside shooter, so you live with some of those that he makes. But defending at the rim is his way of playing, and the Lakers knew that, and we did a good job rotating, not in the same sort of scrambling around against ball screen sort of way that we've struggled with in previous games, but in this game, it was very much just from the post or perimeter isolations, get a guy in there to take a charge, and we did that time after time. I think Giannis had, what, three, four offensive fouls? Yeah. Because, I mean, he could have taken mid-range shots against that um, and, and changed his shot profile. Maybe he would have been less efficient. But those turnovers come with the territory of how he plays if you do the right things uh, on, on the defensive end. So I really like that. I was proud of the team. I, I thought the guys did a really good job executing, playing with effort, uh, boxing out, um, making his life really difficult. We saw AD was on him for a lot of the game. Keefe was on him. And Giannis only got one shot up against Keefe, which I, I thought was... Uh, you know, we kind of got away with one there. Um, LeBron did a really good job. He forced three turnovers on Giannis. Trez did a good job. Uh, even even KCP and Schroeder, when they were defending Giannis or Middleton, they did a good job getting up into their bodies and making them just uncomfortable. Don't let them drive at you and use their force and let them Euro step all the way around you. Make them uncomfortable. Get the, get your hands in there. Be pesky. So I was really pleased with what we saw from the guys. Um, I think the if we're going to look at fluky things, the Lakers shooting 50% instead of like 45% in this game from three is like the difference between a win well, and a Tim, loss. Or like Tim, the t- they're, they're 14 of 26 on non-corner threes to last night. Yeah, that's 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 not going to... What is that? What percentage is that? That's It's like 60%. Yeah, that's really high. 50, 54. That's, yeah, that's crazy high. Like you so, love it. You love the shot making. Like I'll right. take it. I right. just wouldn't bank on it. And I wouldn't, it, I, if anyone's saying like, oh, this is a, a decisive like blowout win, like, nah, not quite. We won. It was good. We did a lot of good things, but you need to take steps forward uh, to like, if this were a playoff series and we were playing them again tomorrow, I wouldn't feel complacent right now. The fact that we won't play them for a while makes it a little bit different, but uh, I, I think the three-point shooting, you love it. You'll take it. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. This was one of the good days. You got a lot of really good shots. And we even pointed out on the stream, man, it seems like the Lakers are missing a lot of really open threes. And yet they still shot like 50%. So yeah. uh, that spoke to the shot quality we were getting. Um, and just the fact that LA did have a couple more runs in them that we didn't quite see materialize. Uh, but at the same time, you can't bank on that sort of shooting continuing in the future, especially when you're not getting to the rim and when you're not getting to the rim, you're going to get to the free throw line less. So the style of play from LA and especially from AD looking at his shot chart, it was a lot of mid range. Um, and he's good at that, but you just, you want to be a little bit more geared towards winning basketball with just a couple tweaks here and there. If you were just long-term. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I I wanted to focus on this quick little couple plays here that stood out to me, though, Tim. There was um, a nice play out of bounds that Vogel drew up after AD was they were starting a strong side zone him. Right. So when you see AD in the post, he's got his man on him and Giannis. Yeah, I, this is the other thing. Why are you going to ISO AD is amazing. Great, great offensive player. But Giannis is the two-time defensive player of the year. He's going to give AD trouble. And as great as AD is, that is not as good of a shot as it normally is. And, you know, they were strong side zoning a little bit on him as well. And so AD... So, you know, starts on the opposite court in this play. Schroeder comes down, sets a cross screen for him, and he catches the ball in the middle of the paint and just gets a nice little, you know, jump, jump hook floater. And we mentioned that play on the stream. I, I watched that the game again, and that stood out to me again. And Schroeder, anytime he screens for AD, it's this really good offense. You know, they usually generate a lot of space from that, whether it's AD getting to a really good spot or Schroeder leaking out the other side and getting a three. So, you know, what do you see about like how they tried to attack Giannis specifically in ISO and, and how are more ways that we can get AD freed up other than, you know, ISOing him. It's just, we, we got the cross screen action. We've talked about a few times, just, just how do we make this easier for him uh, against a good team who might have a good matchup for him on defense? Yeah, it's, it's a screening thing. It is setting those cross screens, setting, UCLA cut screens where your AD's cutting maybe he he's at the top of the key and like the slot so not fully centered but a little bit like to the left mm-hmm. he passes to the wing and then KCP or Schroeder sets a back screen on Giannis so that big guy has to turn all the way around and get around it and you just cut AD north south right to the block and a lot of times that's going to force a switch because then if you pop that screener that's an open shot for KCP if his, uh, his man tries to bump that cutter, which is a concept we talked about last night on the stream. So that or slice cuts is a similar thing, but instead of north-south, it's more angled. Um, but it's again, it's another cutting from the perimeter to the inside uh, setup. And I like those more than the cross screens a little bit just because it is getting his momentum going to the rim instead of a little bit past the rim. And it requires the defense to go a further distance or if they don't switch that man has so much further to recover to and the shooters already on the perimeter you don't need to set that screen and then have a dude sprint out to the three-point line he's already there just about when he's setting that screen so some of those perimeter sorts of uh setups having ad cut from the perimeter to the inside i think that would be smart um especially when you have lebron and you have marcus all out there that can be big man passers while your guards are setting those screens and you have other guards spacing out Um, so it just, it's the perfect personnel to run sets like that, or you can even get a little bit more creative, have ADB on ball and run a little inverted ball screen, run, run some ghost screen action. You're probably going to force some switches or if not, you might get some open KCP threes. Uh, so those are what three or four different ways that the Lakers can just through some screening actions, try to generate some of those advantages. Cause like you said, like an AD post up is good. That's great offense. I like it. An AD post up when extra help is coming, less appealing. An AD post up against Giannis with extra help coming is not the yeah. the way you want to be approaching a possession. So yeah, little things here and there the Lakers can improve upon that if they do them a little bit better next time, this could be a blowout. And he did a really nice job on one play where, you know, Drew was sagging down off of LeBron at the top and LeBron just back cuts Drew and just 
pocket pass right to LeBron for a wide open mm-hmm. dunk up the lane. And, you know, that's a tough spot for Drew Holiday to be in because, first of all, I don't think you really need to help too much if Giannis is your guy, but they can send a little bit. Drew was very disrespectful to LeBron's spacing in this whole game, and it didn't change. You know, he was like that in New Orleans. It was the same way against uh, uh, in Milwaukee. So that's one. And again, like what you said, put AD and LeBron in more ball screen actions because that's really, you know, their bread and butter that they're kind of trying to avoid and outside of some very key moments. You see AD got a, a pick and, you know, mid-ranger, much easier practice shot that he drained in the fourth quarter. So there, there's actions. Um, I also feel like we spoke a little bit about this on the stream, but in general, AD is shooting threes less often than he did to start the season. So I think he's a guy that needs that rhythm of getting at least three attempts a game. And it doesn't feel like he's getting that. I know Vogel's talked about five. That seems slightly ambitious um, based on his usage and, and where you want him, you know, attacking the rim more and, and shooting three. You want all three levels from AD. So a little bit more three shooting could help this offense space a little bit better and get him some extra shots. So in the past one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the, the Lakers have played 10 games this calendar year. He had six attempts January 1st against San Antonio, then two attempts against Memphis, then 10 attempts against Memphis. That's when we saw him right. make the switch of actually popping after right, setting right. ball screens. And then three, one, 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 two, one, one. Yeah. That's not enough. If he's true, and, and we've seen him revert a little bit back to the picking and turning, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'll call it, because he's not picking and popping, Pick he's and not sit. picking and rolling, he's not, yeah, he's not <laughs> picking and getting into the short roll. He's picking and then he just saying, "Give me the ball. I'm gonna yeah. post up from the from the elbow." And we've yeah. seen even times he'll get the ball open and wait for his defender to get to him, and then isolate instead of just even taking that shot. It's just so the post entry pick in roll. Uh, that's just to to get them to the post. It's basically what it is. It's just. I don't know. You got to if it, take what the defense gives you. If if they're especially when they have to defend Schroeder or LeBron, guys that can attack the rim, just pick and pop. You're going to get open threes. Hit some of those. That changes the way the defense needs to play LeBron, the, the way they're able to uh, send help against Schroeder. And it's going to make other guys look better. It's going to give you some easier shots. And then if you do want to attack, why not attack facing the rim against a, a hurried closeout that you can drive by instead of attacking with your back to the basket when the closeout's coming and not being able to either see the floor or be in a triple th- threat position. So I don't know, it's, it's been a battle. We've seen the ups and downs with it. Hopefully the Lakers get that back into form because I would like to see him shoot some more threes a game. He, he's been getting better at that. And if he adds that, that would be another really good form of offense for him and the Lakers. And it would provide more spacing for the team as well. Lakers dropped to fifth in overall offensive rating, uh, 114.4, just behind the Nets, Nuggets, Bucks, and Clippers. So, you know, they they still have all the pieces to me to be a number one offense. I think they have the personnel and the basketball IQ, all of that, and the depth especially. So, I mean, they're still in the first in defense, which I don't know about you, but I think is was a – the reason they won this game, the Lakers defensively on the year, 104.7 defensive rating and watching the game again, you know, not having to call every play, Tim, the defense really stood out to me as far as um, 
changing up a little bit in the first half. I texted you that like they're starting to ice and weak screens a little bit more, especially with Giannis and Middleton involved. And that just kind of helps. Like they got a couple deflections off of it, got a couple turnovers. They're doing a little bit different flavors mixed in. You know, some units are trying to kind of switch in the lineup of men. It didn't go well for Morris and against Giannis, but they're doing more stuff. They were very active. I thought Schroeder was fantastic in his possessions on Middleton. LeBron had some good possessions on Middleton. LeBron had some good just general screen coverages, really being aggressive, getting over the screens and just causing chaos. And um, AD as well. Harold had a couple possessions. Lots. Of- we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good stuff uh, from Caruso is always getting in, in passing lanes and making winning plays. So watching, considering the Bucks are... Uh, number two in offensive rating. I thought the Lakers really stymied them uh, a lot more than I thought, at least. That's what I was talking about pregame, Tom. This is the kryptonite. This is the the, the ball screen coverages, the ISO defense. This team has it in them to just be elite defensively in general, but against this Milwaukee team, they've got the right types of pieces to defend. And we saw that come out to play last night. And I'm, yeah, just, just pumped about that. Really proud of how the team did there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. So, uh, are any other, I don't know, defensive coverages that stood out to you? I have a couple. Um... Like Wes on Middleton was was not particularly good. And I wonder if uh, the way Schroeder can guard up and kind of play physical and get into some of these guys who they can't be too much bigger than him. And, you know, Middleton's a stout guy. He's got strength. He uses it. Uh, He did a good job on Middleton and a lot better than what I saw from Wes. So are you concerned at all from Wes? And and do you see Schroeder as maybe a guy who might be able to guard up a little bit more successfully than we thought? Then we thought, yeah, I, okay. I wouldn't game plan. I'm not on, saying he's the best, but better than we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and against specific types of guys, he'll be better than others. Against a guy that struggles to get to the rim a bit in Middleton, that's that's a good matchup for him. Um, against other like against like a Kawhi Leonard, <laughs> I'm a little bit more worried. That's a guy who <laughs> who is going to be able to work around that and draw some fouls and get to the rim, and that would be more troublesome. And this is going back to this is a callback to at the beginning of the year preseason we talked about. Can Schroeder defend deep in the playoffs? That was a question that Pete, like a film room, put into our mailbag is mm-hmm. can Schroeder defend late in the playoffs? And this is exactly what that is. So yeah. I feel better about it than I did then. It's not going to be perfect, but it's, it's, I mean, I'm pleased with this. This is good. It's not perfect. It's, he's limited for because of his size, but he's going to do as well as you can expect for a guy that size. So you can live with that. And that's the type of guy you can play late in the playoffs. And and on the other hand, how do you feel about Wes? And he did come off a little bit of an injury recently where he, you know, got out of the rotation and it's taken him a little bit. He did make some threes last night, but he didn't play in the second half. And we didn't see the lineup of Mel with him. We saw it with Caruso to start the fourth instead. Then uh, they went plus four in four minutes. So uh, any concerns with Wes? Any is he basically the guy we thought and some you know matchups he might not be that valuable yeah it's gonna be a matchup thing and a it's i think it's a rotational thing i think Mm -hmm. it's a lineups thing too and defensively is the big piece of it offensively he's basically just a spot-up guy and he's he's hitting his threes at a decent rate and he'll have games where he goes so one streaky. for five, but, so but then he'll have games where he goes six for six. He's a four <laughs> for six, a four for eight. He had two for three last night. Um, lots of one for twos, oh for twos. If he can get up four threes a game and hit probably between one and four of them like that, I, I'm okay with that. If he's just a spot up guy, you can fit that type of guy in any lineup defensively especially with that lineup of meh where it's either him or Caruso needing to be the point of attack defender or being a chaser for sure. It's just not setting either of them all that well up to succeed. And we did see that group switch a little bit more last night mm-hmm. so at some points with more success than with others. Um, and it's, I, I think when it doesn't work, it stands out more than when it does work because when it doesn't work, you see somebody score and it's like, ah, there you go. But when it does work, and it negates the action altogether, it doesn't stand out as much because there's no, like you're not getting a steal or anything. It just suppressed the action. So there were times it worked and I was pleased to see the Lakers switch a little little bit more with that lineup because that is one of the ways to take that group that had like some ridiculous, it was like a 130 defensive rating or something like that and make it a little bit better. Um, But with him specifically, I'm not out on Wes. I think if you flop him with like Caruso, and we're, we're seeing – we saw in the first half last night. Yeah. So second half, he didn't play. In the first half, we saw him in that one lineup where he's not used all that well defensively. And offensively, we saw him in some inverted pick and rolls, which I liked. The lineup immediately after that was Caruso, Schroeder, and KCP all in the same grouping. Just flip one of those three players with Wes Matthews and allow him to defend where he should be defending with that group, give that group a little bit more size, and then give that lineup of meh some more ball handling. And it doesn't need to be THT. We brought THT up. The Lakers didn't play THT at all last night. And if he doesn't play, like you can still make this work. It's Mm -hmm. not a guard availability thing, as we've said a a few times here. Take one of those guards. You don't have to change anybody's real minutes. You're just flipping 
which lineups they're in. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it should be able to work out. I'm surprised they haven't made the change yet, but if they do, I think that helps make, I hope that, I think that helps us let a bet, lets us see a better version of West Matthews. Mm-hmm. As I'm falling over my words here, he's, he hasn't performed all that well at times. He's hitting some, some shots defensively. We haven't seen him in his perfect role. And we, I voiced that concern going into the year was given the rotation, losing Avery Bradley, we're probably going to see him play a lot of chaser and versus some teams, it's going to kill you. It's going to hurt you against yeah. Golden State. That hurts against Milwaukee, a team that rarely uses off screen action. They ran, I think, three all game last night. It's not going to hurt you but it's still not the best way to deploy him. So give him a more of a shot, optimize your talent a little bit better. And I think we'll be able to see more out of West Matthews. So I'm, I'm not out on him. You want to work him into, into shape from that injury and get him playing with some consistency, give him a consistent role, let him be who he needs to be defensively. And that's one of the guys you want to be able to play in the playoffs with confidence. You can't, you don't want to be able to just cut him out of the rotation or bank on cutting him out of the rotation because then you're depending on THT or, or maybe you're down to nine men or maybe eight men or seven men. When you have a a team with Gasol and Harrell and other guys that might need to not play as much, you need a guy like Wes Matthews that can play a little bit bigger than he is to, to be someone that's dependable. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not out, but he needs to play better. But the Lakers can do more to set him up to succeed. I, I like that answer a lot. Um, I, I just wanted to throw out it might be time for me to play around a little bit more with that rotations tool that you built. So uh, plug in that we you know, that is we can pop that in our discord and you can follow us on Twitch and, you know, get right into the discord. So go mm-hmm. follow us on Twitch. We're going to keep streaming a lot more lately. Yeah. And, and having gone through the tool and played around with some stuff, I, I think the Lakers can make this work. And just looking at the rotation they ran out last night, a couple things stood out to me. One, we only had 32 seconds where the Lakers had neither LeBron or AD out there, yep. which is great. That's like barely at all. And we were, I think, plus two in, in that half a minute, which is good. Um, both guys did play a good, healthy amount of minutes. It was very much like a playoff type of usage for the two of them. Um, it stood out to me that we always had a wing stopper on the court. That was nice. Um, all game, we only had about three and a half minutes of 80 on the court without Harold or Gasol. And it was the lineup LA closed with at the end of the game where we went plus three. We went on a run and then we were up a bit and they tacked on a couple points at the end. But uh, that was the lineup the Lakers closed with. That was LeBron, AD, Schroeder, Caruso, and KCP. Um, and then the last thing was that with Caruso... So he went, he had a three-minute stint in the first half. And then to close the first half, he had a 16-second stint. And then in the second half, starting about halfway into the third quarter, he checks into the game. And from that point on, he played 14 minutes and 15 seconds of the remaining 17 minutes and 21 seconds in the game. He barely rested at all. He went from barely playing in the first half to playing almost the whole rest of the game starting from the third quarter. You can probably balance that out a little bit more. That, that stood out to me, and I don't know if that was intentional or if it was we're going to take Wes's minutes away and give him to Caruso instead because we didn't see Wes in the second half. But that was just some strange usage. Credit to AC for for stepping up, but that's probably a weird way to probably fatigue a guy. You, you wouldn't want to have him out there and be super tired having played so many minutes after barely playing at all in the first half. 
Well, I just want to bring this quote up that, you know, we talked about the lineup of men last uh, last pod and Harrison Fagan, shout star guy. He went on and asked Vogel about that lineup. And we read this on the stream. But for our pod listeners, I think this quote is very telling to something like what you're talking about with the uh, imbalance kind of half lineups. So it's it's hard to get this many guys minutes, 10, 10 guys and 11 with THT. So Vogel said. Quote, yeah, that's not an ideal lineup, but a lot of times the game plays out where I'm trying to get guys the minutes they deserve to impact our team. And sometimes it results in imperfect lineups. But that sample size is extremely small. We had trouble with that lineup in the Golden State game because of how small they went. And you always want to give a group of guys an opportunity to impose their size against a smaller team. It didn't work out that quarter. We made adjustments in the second half, but we'll continue to evaluate that. I'm aware of what that lineup looks like. After giving that quote, he played that lineup again against one of the best teams second in the most. league. Yeah, one of the best teams in the league, second most used lineup again. <laughs> and so, luckily, LeBron was so good, they ended that plus one, right? But we mm-hmm. talked before the game happened in our preview that that's my worry is LeBron and Giannis's minutes are kind of shadowed. And that second half, second quarter start we could go down eight points real quick and they didn't to their credit, but yeah. I don't feel like it was because there's a massive turnaround in the performance of that lineup. So I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What does that quote speak of speak to, to you, Tim? I think it's a lot of coach speak. I, I like that. He did address that. So it's a small sample size. Yes. Uh, he acknowledged that it wasn't a good matchup with golden state. And we agree that it's that chaser thing. It's your, Point of attack and, and chasers that your one and two defense are not matching up well against teams you're playing, especially against Golden State, where Steph Curry never stops running around mm-hmm. and they've got smaller guys that are going to make you work. Uh, so th- there are inherent weaknesses to this lineup. He seems to recognize it. He knows it's a small sample. Um, I understand that he's trying to get guys to play. But my my rebuttal to that is you can get the same minutes for everybody involved if you just flip one of those big flip Kuz or Matthews with Caruso or KCP in those lineups, you're playing back to back and you've got no problem there. Everybody's playing the same amount of minutes. It makes more sense defensively. Yes. It's a small sample and big picture. It is a small enough sample that just statistically without saying anything about basketball, just statistically knowing what we know about basketball lineups, we cannot trust that that net rating, which was like minus 30, 37, 33, something going into last night's game is true and will continue to be so. But looking from a basketball lens, we can look at that lineup and say, this isn't working out so well. I don't know what we should expect, but it probably isn't going to suddenly become a positive lineup. And they did go plus one last night, but they played more offensive possessions than defensive possessions. (laughs) So they they kind of called the game at the top of the ninth (laughs) inning, didn't give the other team a chance. They actually had a negative eight net rating, which is still an improvement, but uh, (laughs) plus one's a little tricky. Plus one with the The, negative net rating is incredible. This lineup is like breaking math. (laughs) Not really. It is a mathematical explanation. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely stood out. I don't think I had really thought about that right. until today, like right before this podcast. Because they're so inefficient on offense, that extra possession on offense makes them even negative. It's anyway, sorry, I interrupted yeah, but, you. But yeah, I don't know. It's 
we can make improvements. We can reduce usage of that lineup. It's been playing the second most, it, and it's not crazy minutes, but it's the second most used lineup. Like you got to reel it back a little bit if it's going to continue performing that negatively. But I did like some of the changes the team made. We talked about on the last pod how that same group, even if they are still playing, they can do things to be better. And we talked about it before the game started. And as the game was going along, here's, you know, they can do this, they can do that. We saw some switching. It worked out pretty well. It worked out better than what they're usually doing. Um, We saw them run some inverted ball screens where they had like – Kuzma or Wes Matthews setting ball screens for LeBron and then popping those ghost screens. It either got switches or was getting some open threes. So they were approaching things with that lineup a little bit better. They're not using it in a way that they're necessarily imposing their size. So his piece about that, I haven't seen, I haven't quite seen that materialize. I think the only way you can possibly see that is trying to hunt some of those switches with the ghost screens and whoever the point guard is defending, have their man who's going to be a shooter set a screen on LeBron and pop to the three point line. If you get a switch, then you have LeBron and a point guard. That I guess is the one way they're trying to impose their will, but we haven't seen them crash the glass all that enthusiastically with that group. We haven't seen them really posting up a bunch with that group. So there are ways to improve the style of play. We saw some of that last night. There are ways to do more of what Frank Vogel verbally is talking about on the court. Um, but I don't know if, if they go minus eight is their net rating moving forward. I feel pretty good about that because yeah. that's a huge improvement from what we've seen from them overall. But this was a pretty favorable matchup relative to the different teams you can play and how they might take advantage of the defensive weaknesses of this, this group. I mean, I think you see it in some moments when, you know, Trez targets Connaughton and Trez targets Bobby Portis. It's not a huge size, like mismatch, but Portis doesn't have the post defense that can really stop stymie Trez, you know, but that's not so yes. And I agree with that, but that's not a, like Trez is still playing like center with that group. Sure. It's not that like, like the size advantage you're getting with that lineup of meh is at your like point guard shooting guard. Right. Small right. Forward. If you're attacking, if like Milwaukee's just running dumb lineups out there and they've got Connison playing power forward, like that's not, that's not supporting your argument, right. Frank. I get it. You'll take it. It's going to help the net rating, but that's not, but I agree with you. That was a smart way to attack. It's just not, I think it's a different discussion. Well, it's, from, it's there's a difference from you beating someone's weakness or mistake versus you uh, being at your best and and imposing your your will onto the game. There's the, that that's mm-hmm. the this difference of what we're talking about here. Yep. Okay. I'm I'm with you. I got you now. Um. But you know, like, I think Trez has some of those specific matchups against second units that really gives this team an advantage. So, mm-hmm. um. It's I've liked how they use him. I want to see more, but overall can't complain in that respect. Um, yeah, man, it was a very good game. And I think that the Lakers didn't play to their best um, and they played incredible defense. So their identity still remains very def- defensive oriented and the offense can get stagnant. But when they're making threes like they haven't made since like I saw, I think Alex Regla said they haven't shot over 36 percent as a team since like 2013. So if that keeps up, this is the best Lakers shooting team in a, almost a decade on top of the still defensive excellence. And I I don't have any evidence to say this is true, but I hope 
when we get to pivotal moments, that second unit at the start of the second includes Marcus Saul, because in January, eh, you might not want to throw that extra five minutes a game at Mark, four minutes a game, whatever. But he could probably deal with an extra shift eventually, at least hopefully. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, I did like the team's approach defensively into this game. We said it, we talked earlier about how it was a favorable matchup and we saw that play out. Middleton struggled at times. Giannis had a bunch of turnovers. I liked the way the team you had mentioned uh, in, in a tweet before the pod, how the team was icing a lot of ball screens and they they were weaking Middleton, making him reject screens and try to go left instead of dribbling off the screen to his right. Mm-hmm. If he did or if he was going off the screen to his left, they were catch hedging. And then we actually ended up turning a lot of those catch hedges into switches. Mm-hmm. If he tried to string it out at all, L.A. didn't try to recover too far, especially because they were they, they were able to pick and pop with Lopez. Just switch it. It's fine. Um, I liked that. We saw the team defending the Giannis ball screens that were inverted where he was at like the elbow in a guard like Drew Holiday comes up, sets a screen. We were showing hard and recovering on those, but having Giannis's men go under the screen instead of over it, which was a smart way to defend there. So I was really happy with that game plan. What we saw Milwaukee do to counter that, and they did it three times in like two minutes in early in the fourth quarter was as so they set the first screen. LA's guard shows hard, and then the screener flipped to the other side and set a screen on the other side of the big man. So then suddenly, instead of one player on both sides of the screen, you had both defenders on the same side of the screen. So Giannis, instead of it, instead of going left as the screen was originally planned, it was flipped to the right side against no defenders. So he used that with success a couple times. Um, so if Milwaukee was playing the chess game. You know, credit to them. We, we've talked about how that can be weak for them, um, but uh, just, I don't know. In general, I was pleased with what we saw. I do think the transition defense was uh, a little bit of a weakness last night. We saw Milwaukee get, they basically doubled up the Lakers in transition possessions, which you don't see all that often. I Some of it was guys complaining after not, no calls. Some of it were, some of it was uh, due to live ball steals, turnovers, some blocks uh, leading to runouts. Um, not walling up on Giannis in transition was something that we've seen some teams really focus on. We didn't see the Lakers do as much where you get not just the guy guarding him, but you stunt hard even before he tries to drive to prevent Giannis from driving in transition. Didn't see LA go that route. It worked out okay. Uh, Milwaukee had 30 points in 24 transition possessions, which is pretty efficient offense. Contrast that with 14 points and 12 positions from the Lakers in transition. So Milwaukee had the edge there. Uh, we didn't see L.A. with as many long passes, although we did have a couple long like post-ups that worked out pretty well. Uh, there was that one great pass yeah. from LeBron to Kuz that like it was like a, a scene from like the Matrix or something. Where <laughs> yeah. he, uh, Pete posted the video of like so many different times yeah. it almost got touched by somebody. Um, so, yeah, that, that was something we can probably win moving forward that the Lakers didn't win in this game. And then the off-ball switching was another thing that we didn't do as much as I thought we would. That was something pregame. I was like, this is a team you can off-ball switch against. We had a lot of switching going on. And then, like, Alex Caruso is defending Brooke Lopez in the post off-ball. He doesn't have the ball, but, like, he's standing right next to AD who's guarding someone on the perimeter. They didn't just, you know, just just take two steps forward, two steps back. I saw that play. And get yourselves yeah. a much better – yeah. That, that one stood out to me. I saw that a few times yeah. that – uh it's a, it's a little thing, but it might save you an offensive rebound or two a game. 
or it might save you a post bucket a game. Um, it, those are just the little things that it didn't need to happen. It didn't end up mattering last night, but if the team can be better at that, they'll be much more the well-oiled machine they'll need to be in the playoffs. And we're still crazy early, but add that to the list of little things the Lakers want to be clicking with by the time they do get later into the season. All right, man, kind of wrapping up here uh, for the end of this game. Couple last few observations from me. I thought Kyle Kuzma had a very sneaky good game, although he went two for six. He had two great help defense blocks, uh, one on Pat Connaughton right at the rim, one on Brooke Lopez when him and Harold kind of miscommunicated about who's picking up who. And then Kuz comes from the, you know, the weak side blocks Lopez and then LeBron blocks blocks him again and in the fourth quarter so I think he's been rebounding the ball very well lately he's had a couple dumb turnovers but yeah that streak pass from LeBron he's uh he's he's finding an all-star in his role at in front of her eyes I think and a part of that comes with replacing the help side defense that Danny Green gave you in some opportunities and you know, he was passing, moving the ball great at the start of the season. And now, not so much. I haven't seen him make a, a nice read in a while. So, ebbs and flows. Yeah, it ebbs and flows. Some of it relates to his usage from off-ball screens. In a lot of those situations, his read was either catch and shoot or if there are two guys on me, somebody's open. And he did a good job reading in those situations. We haven't seen him used nearly as much in that way mm-hmm. uh moving forward this year let me see what his off-screen percentage is yeah it it's now he's only at 21 on the season and i feel like yeah 12 of those are in the first couple games yeah. so w- we've seen that dip quite a bit he's become very much just a spot-up guy he's still slotted pretty well offensively into his role and i think defensively we've seen him really pick up his activity offensively he's fighting for i know i don't know if it's because i'm looking for like not looking for it, but i've i've noticed it once Am I continuing to notice it or is it just happening more often? He's fighting on those offensive boards quite a bit. I, I do really appreciate that from him. Um, and I, whenever we do run our B-Ball Index uh, LeBron impact metric and, and pump that out, which should happen then in the next week or so, I expect to see Kuz at a career high defensive impact for him. Mm. Um, and, and I'm pretty excited about that. I don't. I, my guess is offensively it's going to look negative, maybe by a good bit, but defensively it's probably going to be a career higher. So uh, he's he's adjusted fairly well, and he doesn't need to be like a on-ball, iso-scorer, bench-microwave kind of guy to be bought in. And just credit to him for staying engaged in his role and doing the little things that he didn't used to do that do make a difference in that Alex Caruso type of way. Different different style, but yep. the same, you know, win between the margins sort of play from uh, Kyle Kuzma. So and shouts, shouts to him. The other thing he does with that that will literally go – you know, unnoticed by any stat are his cuts on offense when he doesn't get the ball. Like there was a play on West Matthews second three where he cuts and he gets the attention of, of both West Matthews guy and his own guy. And it opens up West and LeBron hits the skip and West drains the, the left wing three wide open be all because Kuz cut and that will not show up other than plus minus, I suppose anywhere in his the stats as an impact. So all that activity that he has 
is very, very helpful in, in opening up the floor for other shooters too. So, so shouts to Kuz. I, I have been noticing his sneaky on the margins, uh, positive play, although he is very loudly stupid sometimes, you know? <laughs> yep. He doesn't do himself favors at times. He's, he's doing the smart things that nobody notices. Yes. And yes. then he st- is still doing some of those things that everybody notices that yes. aren't as good. So uh, shout, shouts to t- Kuz, but you know, be smarter here and there, you know? But I'm starting to see the yeah the all star of all our guys in our rotation. He is maybe the one last year. Maybe him and Javale still fight all stars in their role. Maybe is a stretch, but seeing him develop that defense and that rebounding is is very promising to me. And uh, and how many different lineups he can slot into that aren't the lineup of Matt. But I don't know, man. We got for just under an hour on one game. We don't usually do that. I feel like we've dived into this game uh, deep enough, man. But is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with after this Lakers win against the true contender? I thought the team game planned well. They executed well. There was good effort. We saw LeBron step up. We saw Trez do a good job when when we needed him to step up, given the mismatches. We saw Koo. Like, we've shouted out a bunch of different guys. As a whole, the team played really well and yet still had a lot of room for improvement. This isn't close to the final version of the Lakers, nor is it close to the final version of Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. probably either. But it's still the biggest win we've had so far. And that's that's why we're giving you an hour right now. I hope you guys enjoyed the game. If you haven't joined us for the live streams, please do. Um, I think we might do the Chicago game. I'll be available. I'll be available. Let's do it. Join us. So what is it? That game is Saturday, I yeah, believe. That game's tomorrow. Um, yeah. Jo- oh, damn. It's Friday already. Yeah. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. Yeah. But uh, yeah, join us Saturday. Uh, we give you play-by-play. We'll analyze what's happening. We'll be pointing out a lot of these things, but as they're happening. So, you know, if you're listening to this right now and be like, oh, man, what does he mean by, you know, uh, bump the cutter? We, like, we'll pull up the whiteboard and yep. like show you on the screen. Uh, yeah, we talked about a slice a lot of cut fun. last night. We did. Yeah. We, we went over basically every cut. It was like, here's yeah. a flex cut. Yep. Here's a UCLA cut. Here's a slice cut. Here's a cross grain. Like here's the difference between all of those. Um, there's some really great Q and a. So like a lot of what we'll talk about just arises organically because somebody asks a question mm-hmm. or points something out and we're like, yeah, you know what? Good point. And here's what it looked like. Or, oh, that's a great, you know, idea. And then we'll pull some stats up. Um, you'll get a sneak peek at a lot of the b-ball index stats that you normally have to pay for but you know it's it's like your stuff i'll give it to you for free um so yeah definitely go join us if you haven't already over on twitch.tv uh, slash lakers exceptionalism pod and if you're a subscriber you get to be part of those little uh windows of time where everyone else is watching an ad but you get to sit there and chat with us for 30 seconds at a time yeah man we, we'd love to provide the lakers fans with the service of saving you from chris weber whenever possible or reggie miller or mark jackson or jeff van gundy you know and tim you mentioned it before uh, before we started recording about christian wood going at a shack he did it again to donovan mitchell why are we watching inside the nba for the uh, basketball coverage that real basketball fans appreciate and love the game for this is why honestly i've been you know i created the LFR live with Pete back in the day when we did this like this is why I want this to be a new kind of media because that that coverage sucks I'm sorry the LeBron James or excuse me uh Shaq Chuck Kenny will all probably know more about basketball than I ever will but it doesn't mean that they may put on a better show 
you know, with all of their money and all of their their resources, the way they talk about the game leaves me wanting. And if you want something to to satiate that basketball nerd inside of you, like, please come check it out, because we're very interactive in the chat. Like you said, we talk to people, we have fun, but you know, we maybe go on a tangent every once in a while, but I guarantee 90% of the game will be covered. You know, we will talk about each play as best we can. So that's my pitch. Please join us. It's a growing community and the more the merrier. So with that, Tim, I'll catch you uh, tomorrow on the stream, dude. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you all there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.